Hello, PolyM fam, and welcome to Talk Your Poly Off, presented by ilovepoly.org. This is your podcast for ethically navigating your relationships, your community, and yourself for a healthier and happier lifestyle. This is Bella Doll. She is my sunshine full of giggles. And this is Joshua Monsuda, the logic to my emotion and the chaos to my order. So now you know us. Pull up a seat and let's talk our poly off. Hello, PolyM fam, and welcome back to Talk Your Poly Off with Bella. That's me. And Monsuda. That's him. <laughs> <laughs> Today our topic of discussion is one which I feel incredibly passionate about. I think about this a lot. I try to live this as much as possible. I wish there was more of it in the world. Yeah. And before we say that, I do want to let everyone know that last night, Bella hosted a Halloween double Double feature. feature. And we took our new living room and turned it into a movie theater with a cuddle bed, (laughs) which is an air mattress. And I'm on the air mattress, so you might get some "Er -er 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 noises. (laughs) Just ignore it. It's all good. It's a little shifting on the bed. It's fine. (laughs) I'm just being comfortable and casual today. In your pickle Rick, Rick and Morty type shorts. Yeah. I got these shorts for a doudoir shot yeah. that I did, and never even wore them for the photo shoot. But That's they're okay. nice. So I, I like get them. to see them. Yeah. Your butt looks good in them. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's soft. So, back to the topic at hand. <laughs> We're going to be talking about compassion today. And that's, I don't know. I mean, like, I could I could probably talk for hours and days and months <laughs> because compassion is probably the one thing, in my view, that could save the entire human race. We forget about com- being compassionate a lot. We do, and it yeah. sucks. And, and so here I am, and here you are. Here <laughs> we are all talking about it so that we can spread it. Sounds like a disease. Maybe. It'd be a good disease, though. So let's catch up really quick before we get yes. into it. So I already I, mentioned you. Can I talk about it? The double feature you mentioned? Yeah, yeah, go. Okay. So I was super excited. There's a few teeny bopper Halloween Disney type movies that I like to watch every Halloween season. Uh-huh. And I just didn't think you'd be super into them. And I'm so, not. Yeah. So <laughs> I wanted to get a few friends over. I would have watched them by myself anyway. Uh, But we did. We did a double feature night. We got the TV installed in the new house just in time. (laughs) I was going to make that happen. Like within hours. Come hell or high water. (laughs) We were good. Uh, But we did. So we watched Hocus Pocus first. Uh We had a friend who was bringing her mom over and her mom hadn't seen Hocus Pocus. So I knew we had to do that one first because they were party hopping and leaving later. Right. And then we took a, an intermission break, and during the movie, you made some of your world-famous family recipe hand-me-down enchiladas. They're not hand-me-downs like Goodwill enchiladas. No, they were like, here, my son, take my recipe. Handed down through a single generation. Yeah. <laughs> my mother so made yummy. them before I, and no one made them before her. I don't- <laughs> I actually don't know where she started. <laughs> so yeah, we had some delicious foods for intermission, and then continued movie night with Practical Magic because that's a must do. 
and had a blast. Had so much fun. Had some friends over. Um, and then one of my other movies that we didn't get to was Casper. You know, the Devin Sawa Casper and Christina Ricci Casper. I love that one and I haven't watched it yet this season, but it inspired me to search for Casper after the movies last night when everyone had left. Which is my favorite part of the double feature night. <laughs> and it just left Yumi and K-Fug here. So I searched and what popped up? But some old ass cartoons like... 30s, 40s. Popeye, Benny, Benny Boop. Boop, original shit. <laughs> it was so good. Felix the Cat, yeah. Yeah, so we turned that on, and there were definitely a handful. I was sitting here watching them. I felt like I needed to be on acid to watch these things. Yeah. They were so trippy. I couldn't understand that these were actually on TV back then. <laughs> well, there wasn't TV back then so much. Also, what a lot of people don't realize or remember is that cartoons weren't originally created for children. Right. A lot of this stuff, if you look at some of the old, old, old Disney or whatever, they were just a medium used to tell a story not targeted at an age range. Right. <laughs> there was actually a Mickey Mouse cartoon where he was working at a cheese factory. Oh, yeah. And if you pay attention to the video, they're making Swiss cheese. How he's poking the holes in <gasps> is not child appropriate. Oh, no. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, we did our movie night. Ended with some cartoons. It was good. It was a good time. And uh, this week, we also finally got my bedroom set up. I mean, I, yeah. I have to organize it and get stuff put away. But, oh, we finally got everything over for my bedroom from the old house. And I'm so excited for that. Yeah. How's your week been? I have had a pretty good week. So, we did get... To a point to where the office is mostly set up, True. which I'm enjoying. Yeah. One of the things that was a highlight for me, kind of my pseudo-poly moment, is I finally got to start teaching martial arts again. Yay! I am teaching one of our wonderful and lovely friends. While it's not a poly thing because it's not a relationship, she is a member of our poly community. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about that, and it gives me a chance to get back into doing something I'm passionate about. So we said this week that we're going to talk about compassion. Yes. It's one of your favorite topics. It's, well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite topics, but it's, I think, an important discussion to have as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it kind of goes hand in hand when you talk about compassion to also bring up sympathy and empathy. So yeah. I'm just going to define those real quick here. Okie dokie. Sympathy is the harmony of or agreement in feeling as between persons or on the part of one person with respect to another. Empathy is the psychological identification with or vicarious experiencing of feelings, thoughts, or attitudes of another. Mm-hmm. All right. And then, so on the side of those, compassion a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Right. So before we go any further, I will say because I can get so wound up in this topic mm -hmm. that I might go on quite a few tangents. <laughs> this will be tangent central this episode. Yeah, it really might be because... This is a big deal in the world. Right. And sometimes I just can't help myself from, like, screaming from the rooftops or waving a banner or, like, whatever yeah. it is to get that attention. And 
as I, I know that you've seen, I can get so passionate that I just start word vomiting everything everywhere. Well, we tried to cut down on that. We right. did our research like we always do. Mm-hmm. And we've got our show outline with all of our show notes and stuff to mm-hmm. stay on topic. But I fully intend or expect rather that you'll find a way off outline. <laughs> okay, so... I just wanted to put that out there. Disclaimer over. And with that disclaimer over, let's look at this week's three definitions that Bella had just given us and do a basic breakdown. And I mean real basic breakdown. Okay. I think of these three ideas as a step progression into feelings of the heart. All right. Well, at the first step, you have sympathy. So that's Mm -hmm. basically seeing someone struggle, thinking it's bad. You feel bad for them because that struggle's got to suck. Yeah. Next step from that is empathy, which gets a little more personal because you now identify with the person's struggle. So you don't just think it sucks, but maybe it's something you or someone close to you went through, so you really get what they're feeling. Right. And compassion is different than both other feelings because you're putting action to these feelings. Okay. You can acknowledge a person's pain. You can even walk a mile in their shoes. But when you act to ease their suffering, you're truly doing something with these feelings, which affects the world. This is when you put yourself to the side and make your life about someone else, even if just for a moment, because you know your actions will make the world better, not just for you, but for others. You're giving your heart to the universe, not for accolades, not for attention, but because you know the world needs more love Mm -hmm. and that's a huge huge thing is putting action to your feelings in a way that makes the world better i like that's a mind blower for me right i can like your head is going to explode (laughs) this entire episode with all of our research you know you we can tell you all the the dictionary definitions and stuff which we did in the beginning Mm -hmm. bella provided stuff from dictionary.com But one of the things that's always stuck with me about compassion, uh, one of my favorite definitions, is that it means to suffer together. And that's probably some of the most real shit you can hear. Yeah. Like, think about that for a minute. And here's tangent number one. Yes. (laughs) Are we going to number them? Because that'll be... No, because I'll forget to number them. Yeah. But, like, think about it this way. So, say you see a friend of yours has some serious heartbreak. And they're struggling. And it doesn't even have to be relationship heartbreak. It could be just like life has beaten the shit out of them. And they can't fucking take it anymore. And they're on the verge of suicide. Like, it's this bad. Yeah. You could say, oh, that sucks, man. Get better. Oh, no. (laughs) You know? And you can genuinely feel bad for them. You can sympathize for them. Right. And then not do anything. And they're still struggling. Right. While you're enjoying whatever part of your life you're enjoying and you're doing whatever you're doing. You can be like, oh, I've been there. That's a bummer. Like you're identifying, you're empathizing with them, but you're still not doing anything for them. Yeah. Or you could recognize that they just can't take it anymore. They're about to crack. They feel like everything's shit and falling apart and they just want to kill themselves because they're fucking done. And you can feel that with them and you can help take some of that pain away by working through some of their problems with them. Maybe they're struggling financially and you can sit down and you can 
help them understand how to run a checkbook or see where they can cut expenses or, you know, give them 50 fucking dollars. Like, whatever it takes to help them know that they're not alone and to help them make steps toward not suffering as much, even if you have to suffer some with them. Right. That's fucking profound. Like, I'm, I'm not it's even going to lie. Like, it's big. That's a big deal. Well, and that's even on a micro level in that it's like a one-on-one with a person in your life that you love and care about or even a stranger, but it's one-on-one, like person to person. Right. You can take that to a macro level on a big scale. Think about, you know, the rainforest burning down, right? Yeah. We all post on Facebook, oh, love and prayers, sending good thoughts, all these things, because we sympathize. We're like, oh, fuck, that sucks. Like, that's terrible. Yeah. Or we've been through a fire and it's burning all of our life down around us and we can empathize and we're still posting, oh, hashtag pray for the rainforest or whatever it is. But until you're actually making a donation towards something or writing to your congressman or, you know, whatever it is to actually take action towards making change. And it's interesting that you went to the internet because I feel like I got something boiling for that one. Compassion for being such a valuable and treasured thing is so often easily lost. I guess it's easy to get wrapped up in the day-to-day and focus on what we need or want, getting ahead of the game, coming out on top, winning the race, being right. Like, we all want to succeed. We all want to do well. But what happens to our hearts when someone's problem becomes not my problem? Yeah. Or when something bad happens to someone we don't like and we're all callous enough to think, good, that's what they fucking get. Yeah. And... I said it was funny you brought the internet up because a perfect example of this can be seen online in social media. One of the biggest pet peeves I've ever had is seeing people use social media platforms to become ugly and nasty, hateful people. I've watched close friends who, in person, understand compassion and responsibility. They go online and they lose every ounce of heart. It's easy to say mean and hurtful shit when you don't feel like you have to be accountable for the consequence of your Mm -hmm. actions. So true. But when they don't have to watch their behavior utterly tear someone down, that doesn't mean they aren't causing damage. You know, and then they even come back when you're like, hey, chill. And they come back with the argument of, well, they deserved it. Yeah. They were being an ass, so they deserved it. Right. That's, That's equally or more cold and callous than their initial actions. So I'm not... I'm not a member of the Latter-day Saints, mm-hmm. right? And I don't subscribe to the Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. But there's a guy over in Germany, mm-hmm. and his name is Dieter Uchdorf. Okay. Uchdorf. He actually said something pretty awesome. He's he's high up in the LDS in over the there, which is why I brought that up. But he says, let our hearts be stretched out in compassion toward others for everyone is walking his or her own difficult path it's not so easy to do online when you're not thinking about it right you're so wrapped up in your own cause or your own feelings or your own thoughts that sometimes you got to remember you got to actually take that extra effort to come out and say the person on the other end of this comments is a real human being and maybe I could be a little compassionate. Mm-hmm. Might go a long way. Now, an alternative to 
the people that get online and act like total pricks. Yeah. Is an example of retaining compassion, which has happened relatively recently in the news, where the media found Ellen DeGeneres. Mm-hmm. Sitting, I love Ellen. Yeah, she was sitting next to uh, former President Bush at a football game. Mm-hmm. And some people seemed really genuinely pissed off that, you know, like... There was there was a picture. I think I saw some of this. Yeah, it was a picture. Like, they're hanging out next to each other, mm-hmm. and they're both having a good time and laughing. Yeah. And she's, like, you know, a liberal, and she's she's gay, and she's, like, all on this side of whatever camp that you're talking mm-hmm. about. And then he's the polar opposite. He's on a conservative, and he's a Republican, mm-hmm. and... I make it a point not to talk about politics specifically on this show because right. we don't need that. But that doesn't mean that politics don't influence our life. Mm-hmm. And in a situation like this, where they're on opposite sides of the the political camps or whatever, right. people are automatically going to be like, "Hey, uh, you shouldn't be associating him with him because he's the enemy." Right, right, and we see that all the time online in general, where mm-hmm. people are like, "Oh, you have different beliefs. I can't be your friend. You can't be in my circle." Right, right. So when they see these two people together, they freak out. Yeah, and it's and it's a huge knee jerk thing that happens, actually, pretty frequently lately. Yeah. In the last few years, so the reason I'm bringing this up is because when people were getting upset at seeing this image of these polar opposites being together. Ellen had actually showed her compassion pretty wonderfully in her response on her TV show. Yeah. So I'm going to play that clip real quick. Okay. Okay. Here's the thing. I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think that we've forgotten that that's okay that we're all different. For instance, I wish people wouldn't wear fur. I don't like it, but but I'm friends with people who wear fur. And I, I'm friends with people who are furry, as a matter of fact. I have <laughs> friends who should tweeze more. And I, I have... But just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean that I'm not going to be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way that you do. I mean be kind to everyone doesn't matter i've seen that clip a couple times now and uh, i just absolutely love it i think she handled it with such class yeah and yeah put her heart out there and just you know it's the same thing that a lot of people i look up to say where we don't have to look the same love the same believe the same to be in the same circle and hold community together and i think she said that really well what i would love is if the world remembered how to truly love again and how to take care of each other again. I know that it happens pretty well in some scenarios, but it's kind of a lost art. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the reason I put those two examples out there, the Ellen thing and the online social media mm-hmm. stuff, is to give uh, both to give an idea of what I'm talking about and also to try to help our polyam family remember that even actions in a virtual world can have very real effects. Absolutely. And a lot of our polyam community and family seek out online relationships and community because we do often have to be closeted and quiet mm-hmm. and secretive about who we are and how we love. Well, and in that way you understand where you could look and what you could do because in addition to being this force for damage, there's another side of this coin mm-hmm. where you can actually be a force for 
goodness and that you could use the virtual world of online media mm-hmm. to create very real effects in the other direction. As an example, mm-hmm. I've followed Adrienne Schmidt and her mm-hmm. karma experiment on Facebook for years. Yeah. I remember when it was in some early stages, I don't know, like eight years ago, seven years ago, and she she's just made a world of change with her kindness news and her real efforts of putting compassion back into the world around her. Like she has built a lot of this on kind of the pay it forward philosophy. And, you know, and she's not the only one. Like I could, I could say tons of great things about her, which I will to anyone that asks. Yeah. Because she is a great motivator for positivity in the world. But she's not the only one. And she's not the only one using the pay it forward movement. Uh, There's tons of people and organizations who picked up the theories that were put out. Did you actually see the movie Pay It Forward? I don't think so. Pay It Forward was... It's got Kevin Spacey. He's a teacher. Okay. Okay. And Ailey Joel Osment. Mm -hmm. I see dead people. That kid. Yeah. I think that the Pay It Forward movie was actually probably one of his best pieces of work. This came out in 2000. And basically, as this kid, like, they're they're given these projects in school. And this kid comes up with the idea of paying it forward. Uh, instead of paying someone back for something that they did for you, mm-hmm. you pay it forward and, like, beat them to the punch. Right. right. So instead of being like, hey, can you loan me five bucks? I'll pay you back later. You go out and you do a good deed for somebody without them having to do it first. So you make the initiation, Mm -hmm. you do this good deed, and your hope is that the person you did the good deed for is so motivated by what you've done, shown the compassion, that they also want to go do a good deed for a couple of other people. Right. So in theory... If you did a good deed for one person and they did a good deed for three people and then it cascaded, then... It's like a pyramid scheme of paying it forward. Right. That's exactly it. And there's a ton of people that are actually practicing that in very real ways. So in in some way, the movie started that pyramid scheme of paying it forward and tons of people are moving on with it. So it doesn't just have to be online. I know that that's been a lot of the discussion so far. But it, putting your heart into the physical world around you is probably more important. Volunteering at a charity, starting a community garden, supporting a friend through a hard time. You know, like no amount of effort is too small to make a difference. Yeah. The smallest things can make huge impact. Right. As we go forward talking about compassion, this is kind of where I sit on all of it. So that, so that when we're talking about compassion and polyamory or in relationships or what have you, I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter how personal it is you think you're affecting somebody. It all changes the world around you. Yeah. Speaking of online, there's a whole culture of people mm-hmm. who don't use online. Oh, Yeah. Uh, and for the longest time, they wouldn't even use electricity. Is this the Amish? It is the Amish. Mm. They have an amazing proverb that I want to share with you. Instead of putting others in their place, put yourself in their place. Mm. It's a good way of reminding yourself that you don't need to judge someone. You're not 
gonna be better than someone take some time instead of telling them take some time to put yourself in their position see maybe why someone is being shitty to you or maybe why someone is generally an asshole all the time maybe they're actually struggling in silence and nobody knows yeah no, I love all of that. To transition off the online stuff a little bit, and I know we're gonna please work, do yeah. <laughs> we're gonna work towards compassion in relationships, but I think one area that gets overlooked and missed a lot during discussions on compassion in relationships is remembering to be compassionate with yourself. Coming from a place of compassion during a tough discussion is even more difficult when you're beating yourself up and not able to be kind to yourself first and foremost. I just think it's a great place to start when it comes to practicing compassion. Yeah. Use it in your self-talk as if you were talking to a friend or other loved one. I mean, the things that we say to others to help them and work through problems with them, we often don't say to ourselves. Right. So we need to kind of reflect that and turn it around internally. Yeah. So psychologist and author of Self-Compassion, Stop Beating Yourself Up and Leave Insecurity Behind, Kristen Neff, was the first person to measure and operationally define the term self-compassion. She describes self-compassion as kindness towards the self, which entails being gentle, supportive, and understanding. Rather than harshly judging oneself for personal shortcomings, the self is offered warmth and unconditional acceptance. In other words, be kind to ourselves in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, and even when we make mistakes. Having self-compassion means being able to recognize the difference between making a bad decision and being a bad person. When you have self-compassion, you understand that your worth is unconditional. It doesn't go down because you made a bad choice. Right. You know, there's many times where we fuck up and we're not fuck-ups. You know? Well, and that's a huge deal right there because... A lot of what you hear when someone's struggling, you know, if a friend is really having a hard time with feeling like they fucked up, like you were saying, mm-hmm. if you pay attention to the language that they're providing themselves or the dialogue, we go back to that internal do- dialogue mm-hmm. thing that we talked about. They're saying, I'm a fuck up and I can't amount to shit. I don't or, deserve love. Right. And, and if they provided themselves less judgment and more compassion, they'd understand. No, I'm not a fuck up. I made a mistake. Humans make mistakes. All things make mistakes. There's no perfection. Right. It's okay to make a mistake and to learn from it. Right. And it doesn't make you a failure. It doesn't make you a fuck up. Super easy example as I've got the cat sitting here on my lap. We watch him play with mice all the time, right? Yeah. And just play with them out in the yard. If he is chasing a mouse around because he wants a new friend and he trips or, you know, hits a tree branch and doesn't get to the mouse, we don't see him out there wallowing in self-pity because I I didn't get my friend this time. I didn't have anyone to play with. He just picks himself back up and goes and finds himself a new friend. Like, there is no... You know, I suck, I'm terrible, I'm horrible. It's something that us humans do, you know, instead of just moving on, continuing on with what we were doing. Yeah. I think that the the self-awareness is both a blessing and a curse for humanity. Yeah. I mean, without it, we wouldn't 
be able to calculate math, right? We couldn't build houses. I mean, I still can't calculate math, but that's fine. <laughs> we couldn't create the concept of time and understand the depth of space. But because we can create or develop or encourage these abstract thoughts or these high evolutionary thoughts mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it, we also can overthink the shit out of our own existence. <laughs> True. And when we do that, we often forget to be compassionate to ourselves as we would to someone we care about. I mean, if I love you dearly. Yes. And when you're not feeling so good about yourself, I'm going to say the things that I believe about you that I believe in you. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm not going to be like, yeah, you are a fuck up. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> you really just suck. Right? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, no, you made a mistake and that's okay. And it's all right. You're going to build a learning experience out of this and you're still a good person and you still try really hard. And yeah. So why the hell would I not tell myself that right. when I'm feeling those feelings? If I can be compassionate towards you, why can't I be compassionate toward myself? I think a lot of people, if you could just get that to click in your head, you'd be surprised at how forgiving you can be of yourself. And how willing to accept life's lessons without personalizing them and and tearing yourself down you could be. Right. So, I mean, that, I think that's a good start on when we can show compassion, you know, and that's show it to ourselves all the time. Yeah. Anytime you're feeling negative towards yourself. But I also think that when we start talking about relationships, and not just romantic, but any relationships, I believe there are little things that we can do throughout the day to practice that compassion with a person. Okay. So the four major moments in a day are generally a good place to start. So those four moments, when we first see our partner, or if you don't have a partner, maybe it's your friend or your mom, when we first see that person in the morning or the start of the day. Okay. When we say goodbye to that person and part ways for work. Okay. When we come home from work and reconnect. And then at the end of the night when we're saying goodnight. So those are four major points to our day when it comes to relationships with people. All right. So then we can build in little rituals in those moments that connect us. And again, these, these are places where we can just practice the compassion. Right? These are big moments of the day. Work in little rituals. For example, you and I. Yeah. We do a daily gratitude journal every night together before we go to bed. It's kind of part of our good night part of our day. Except for when I get really drunk and watch old cartoons. That happened last night and the journal did not get done. <laughs> so we did it today. But yes, you know, there's those little rituals. And in those moments, they can be like triggers for you to find a way to be compassionate. You're doing these things all the time, these rituals. So it's like, um, I think it's Brennan Burchard. I may have mentioned it before. He walks through a doorway yep. and it's a trigger to say something positive to himself. Yeah. So if we're working on practicing compassion and we've got these four major points to our day, things happen all the time, we create rituals, that's just another trigger for finding a way to be compassionate. Another thing that we do is 
Like today on the weekends, we tend to make breakfast. Um, we have coffee and I have hot cocoa. We do these things. So find compassionate moments in it. Hey, you're making breakfast. Can I do the dishes for you? It's, it's a good way to trigger those moments. Well, and that's the thing is also uh, to go back to you and I at the end of the day, mm-hmm. doing a basic journal of what, you know, our day was or whatever. We've been doing that for almost a month now. Yeah. Together. Mm-hmm. Now, I have, uh, as any of our longtime listeners that probably already know, I've been going through uh, quite a bit of a bad spell with some things in life. While I've been on the upswing and making the best out of the situations I have and the changes in life that have come, it is sometimes still pretty hard. Yeah. Since doing this nightly ritual that you and I are doing, Mm -hmm. I believe that I've felt more in tune with myself. I've felt more compassionate toward myself. I have judged myself less harshly. And I've made a lot of really good steps at feeling good about where I am and how I have come out on the other side of all of these big life changes I've just gone through. And I do believe, if I'm to analyze it, that this last month has been a lot less stressful. Even with a move. Right. And I've felt better about life. So I 100% get everything you're talking about. I understand why you brought that up. Because as we're reflecting on it, I've done a lot. And and it's because of this thing that you wanted to start doing with me. So I'm grateful for that. And thank you. You're welcome. Now, while I'm tooting our horns, because we're doing fantastic at this. (laughs) Okay. I do want to say that one place, and we'll see later on as we bring up some other things about compassion that need to happen. One place that I do think we both need to improve in is putting everything else down and stopping outside distraction when our partners are speaking to us. Thus, improving our listening and helping our partner feel heard and relevant. I think you and I have a tendency to multitask. We do it all the time, whether it's with our podcasting and we're trying to create content and put together show notes and do this thing over here. I think we also do it just in our personal day-to-day lives. You and I play a fantastic phone game. Mm-hmm. I was going to mention it at the start of the episode, but I got so excited about my double feature movie night that I forgot. Oh. But we play this phone game and we're on galaxies, we're on androids called Marvel Strike Force. Yeah. And it's all the Marvel characters and you build teams and you rank up all these characters and you fight and all this stuff. And we get so sucked into this game sometimes, both of us, that one, the game is fantastic, but two, we lose track of listening to each other. We're having a conversation and we're also playing the game. We're like, yeah, uh uh-huh, mm-hmm, yeah, uh, okay, sure. We're not really listening. And then I think... I have no idea what you're talking about right now. (laughs) Let me put this game down real quick. Let me put this game down so I can listen. (laughs) And then later on, we'll be having a conversation. I'm like, wait a minute, I just told you that. Or you'll say to me, we talked about this already this morning. Why were you not, why are you questioning it now? Oh, shit, that's right. I was playing that game and my listening while I thought was on par. Clearly, I missed things. Well, and, and to really 
uh, clarify, it isn't just the Marvel Strike Force game. No, that was just an example because I'm right? really pumped up about there's, the game. There's a lot. Yeah, the game's awesome because that's where we get to have an alliance full of polyamorous people all yeah. together to fight evil. Yeah, you like build a whole team and the more partners you have, the bigger your team could be. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, this was not the kind of tangent I figured we were going to go on. <laughs> But I hear you. Yeah. Right? And and I get what you're trying to say with that. And that's a really good way. I'm sorry. What, what are we talking about? Yeah, again? yeah. It's that listening <laughs> thing. It's a big part of being compassionate. Oh, yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> we'll talk more about that That's later. exactly what I was trying to say before you interrupted me. Right. Yeah. Right. There's that, too. <laughs> <laughs> so it actually does help us when we tune in with each other. If we're yeah. compassionate toward one another we care about what our partner is feeling or thinking or wanting to communicate putting down your distractions is a great way to show that compassion in a very subtle way to a partner right it's i guess like elizabeth lesser said look for a way to lift someone up and if that's all you do that's enough absolutely and something just as subtle as putting a distraction down is a great way to lift your partner up mm -hmm. so that that they do feel like, you know. They're heard. They're heard. They're valid. Yeah. And I mean, compassion is really at the very heart of good communication and meaningful relationships. Being compassionate entails imagining being in someone else's shoes and desiring to ease their suffering. And actively working toward helping ease that suffering. Right. I know that while I'm a deeply compassionate person on my own, when in a relationship it doesn't always translate well because, as have been mentioned before, I have some terrible habits. For example, I know we've mentioned it previously, but I tend to interrupt and finish his sentences all, all the, time. the time. I did it. I know you did. <laughs> In my head, it's cute because I know him so well and I feel like I know what he's trying to say. And oh, gushy, smushy, gushy, slight, I finish his sentences. <laughs> <laughs> but more often than not, I'm wrong. And then he ends up feeling like I don't value his input, and I'm just smarter, faster, better. I know I need to work on slowing down and listening better, which is absolutely part of showing compassion in discussion. Well, and if we're going to do another thing, it's just sometimes you try to talk for me. And oh, you tell like me telling you how you're feeling? Right. <laughs> Actually, the reason that uh, I brought that up is you're not more often than not wrong. There are some times, maybe you don't nail it. And that's okay. And I think the important thing to understand in that, if we're going to actually be bringing this up in the podcast, yeah. is that... We work through our shit live on air. Yeah. We're here to help you and ourselves. Yay. <laughs> so, so it's not so much that you're wrong more often than not. Because you're not. I'd say probably 75% of the time you get it right. But... The, one of the reasons why I struggle with it is because I don't feel heard and I don't feel valid and and I feel like I don't need to finish what I'm saying and that's not important because you already know it and that's where the struggle happens mm -hmm. and so like when you were talking about the stuff earlier about 
putting the phone down or whatever the distractions are because someone wants to feel valid that's exactly it right there like, right well and that's why i put that in the show notes because i was doing the like research on things and i was like oh shit he's gonna call me out on my own problems better beat him to the punch and just call me out on my own well i wouldn't call you out on the podcast unless humiliation is not humor. my kink no i know <laughs> But I'm glad you brought it up so yeah. that I could talk about it in front of everybody. Yes. Out there for the world to hear. So, I mean, these bad habits of mine, they have led to many fights. Well, maybe not many. Well, they... not fights necessarily. Okay. They've led to many... Disagreements. Disagreements. Hard and discussions. Tense moments. <laughs> So if I could get a handle on these bad habits and show some growth and improvement, I know it would help show you that I value and respect what you have to say, which in turn would benefit our relationship as a whole and be an act of compassion. Yeah, and because it's not like you're the one with the problems and I'm running around perfect, I mean, that's pretty accurate, <laughs> but... I do have my own issues True. that have also caused us a little bit of tension or struggle. Yeah. And part of compassion in a relationship, whether polyamorous or monogamous or friends or family, is being able to hear them, hear your partner or the other person on the other side of that conversation, and try to listen to learn, which is, I think, of some of what you're really summing up here is that even in an issue where someone might call you out on something. If you can listen to learn instead of listen to personalize and, and defend <laughs> and think that you're being harshly judged mm -hmm. or then that's showing the person you're talking to that you care and that's giving an act of compassion by saying I want to learn from what you're trying to tell me and so that we can grow better together. Right. Well, I found on liveyourtruestory.com, they had an article that has eight tips for mastering compassionate communication. So I thought it'd be a good place to share some of these tips with the audience. Number one, focus on the other person. This develops a thorough understanding of your partner and their needs. You can engage in the conversation from a more informed position. It's actually thinking about them and their needs and what they want. Well, I think that sums up compassion in general. I yeah. Mean, if you're so busy thinking about yourself, you can't feel what someone else is feeling or thinking. Right. But when you focus on someone else, then you get to see the world through their eyes. Right. And that's, yeah. there's a few general themes that I ran into uh -huh. when doing research on it. And I think I'm going to sum it up in some of the closing later than my notes. But that's one of the themes that I came across no matter how they worded it. Like this particular website said... Focus on the other person. Right. But others say, don't be so self-centered. Like, yeah, okay. It's the general theme of take the attention off you and put it on the other person. So I'm going to rearrange so that I'm lying down. <laughs> if when you're listening, I'm upside down, <laughs> you understand what just happened. Because he's on his back on the bed. Yeah. <laughs> so number two on your list is to listen attentively. You want to listen and understand so you'll be in a better position to determine the appropriate response. It can't happen when you're listening to respond. Right. So don't listen building an argument. Listen to understand what's being said. 
Well, I think we all do that mostly when in a heated discussion with a partner. Oh, yeah. When things get into the argumentative fighting mode, you know, the partner says something and, you're, and you, me especially, I know that you'll say something and I'm like, oh, I need to rebuttal this point. Right. So I'm sitting here thinking about my rebuttal to it instead of thinking about the rest of everything you're saying. I'm still focused on point one. Yeah, and then you and then you lose out some of the other things that might have even addressed your rebuttal. Right. Yeah. So number three goes with number two. Don't rush to respond. Allowing time to respond demonstrates that the conversation is important to you and you want to give it the consideration it merits. Well, and to jump back to what you were saying earlier, is maybe that's part of that whole finishing the sentence. Mm-hmm. Allow time for the sentence to finish. So that, uh, like you were saying, you can show that it's the conversation's important. Oh, believe me, I was doing these notes and I was like, mm-hmm, that hits on my bad habit and that hits on my bad habit. I was typing these literally like tink, 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 tink. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good thing that, you, that you're the one that found these then. Yeah. Because it's really making an impact. Now, where someone else like me, where I don't have bad habits. Yeah. Even the cat laughed at that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and now that we're here and you're making fun of me, number four is to speak well of others. (laughs) You, when you are in the habit of seeing the good in others, you're more likely to approach conversations with compassion at the front of your mind. I think that's very similar to like the gratitude log that we're doing, uh-huh. you know, so let's say there's this person that is driving me up the wall. They're so hateful online. Everything about them is negative right now. Yeah. If I try and switch it and find their redeeming quality, find something about them that's good. And even if it's just this one tiny little thing, like... Um, they really rock that purple hair. Then when I'm talking to other people about that person, I can come from a place of compassion at the very front of my head. Number five is to not take it personal. Hmm. You both have your own needs and preferences, and sometimes things won't go as you had hoped. If you can practice compassionate conversation, you will realize that it's not going to go as you always hope, and accept that disagreements occur and that it's nothing personal. You can't always expect it to go your way. And if you go into a conversation with the compassionate mindset, knowing that it's not always going to go your way, then it's easier to not take things personal. Well, that's we're going to get into taking things personal in our ego episode that's coming up. Because that's another subject which I can get very passionate about. Yeah. And, And I want to talk about the four agreements in that one. Yeah, so... Taking things personally really puts a big block on some communication. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to work toward a loving, caring relationship, you're going to end up running into things where you and a partner may not agree or you and a partner may have a bit of tension like with you and I what you were talking about earlier there are things that I do that you don't Mm -hmm. care for and sometimes you have to talk to your partner about something difficult something 
that you don't care for or something that bothers you. You can really personalize it and suddenly all communication is broken down and it's just a fight. Right. But if you don't take it personal, you can hear it and feel what I'm feeling and try to work with me to make a change, which is exactly what compassion is defined as. Absolutely. Number six is avoid assumptions. Neither of us are mind readers. Mm -hmm. Nobody really is a mind reader. So don't assume that you know the other person's reasoning. Rather, try asking them. Ask them politely if you can, but, you know, ask them if they can explain it. If they can't or won't, it's the compassionate thing to accept that they must have their reasons. Accept that and move forward. When I'm not making assumptions of other people, then I'm not creating these illusions of reality and causing issues based on something that doesn't even exist or potentially doesn't exist. My assumptions sometimes are right, but sometimes they're not. And when they're not right, it makes things murkier in the water. Mm -hmm. Right. So the fact that I've not been injecting my assumptions into things nearly as much means that I'm not muddying the waters so much and that there's actually enough clarity to have better conversations or to better get to know somebody or Mm -hmm. to learn of a situation so yeah yeah avoiding assumptions is muy bueno well number seven the or the number seven tip for mastering your compassionate communication is to be yourself yeah authenticity is at the core of compassionate communication you cannot be sincere when you're trying to be something or someone else Be true to your values and principles and respect their right to their values and principles. 100%. Like, I I couldn't even... Just live your authentic life and be your authentic person. We we say this all the time when it comes to dating. You and I talk about that. Um, Be who you are out of the gate. And if you're not their cup of tea and they don't want a second date, cool. Don't waste your time. Oh, yeah. You're moving on because it would have come out eventually. You are who you are, even if you try and hide it from the start. Yeah. Well, and bringing it to the compassionate side is if you understand and know why you want to be your authentic self, you can, in theory, then understand that they are being their authentic self. Yeah. You know, and you can take the the empathy into the compassion. Yeah. The last one, number Mm -hmm. eight is seek opportunities to be compassionate. Yeah. I guess, and that's a great way to bring it all full circle. Don't wait for major events before practicing compassion. There are moments in everyday life to do this. The more you practice on the little things, the more ready and prepared you'll be for those big major life events. Yeah. And like the Dalai Lama says... Love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive. Legit. So, we're getting close to the end of this discussion. Right, right. Would you care to share anything in the realm of compassion? I have a story from Christmas years ago when I was a kid. Okay. I guess it's compassion-based. We, it was Christmas Eve. When I was a little kid, I don't know, maybe, well, I guess maybe not that little. I was maybe 14, maybe somewhere between 11 and 14, because I lived in the house 
Yeah, somewhere between 11 and 14. And it was Christmas Eve. So when you weren't 11 to 14, you lived out of that house? In a different house. (laughs) Oh, okay, okay. I know what house it happened in and when we moved there. So it wasn't like you graduated into the house (laughs) from the shed? No. Okay. And I've got an older brother, but then I've also got a younger brother who's two years younger than me Mm -hmm. and a younger sister who's four years younger than me. So the two of them, the three of us hung out together a lot because we were so close in age. My older brother's seven years older than me. So seven years older than me, nine years older from my little brother, and 11 years older from my little sister. So he didn't really hang around us that much. He was off doing his old, older teenager thing. So I don't know where we were, what was happening. We must have been baking cookies, because that's usually a thing that would happen. Snickerdoodles, specifically on Christmas. I love snickerdoodles. I know, they're so good. But maybe my dad was out front fiddling with Christmas lights. I don't know. He was doing something. And this giant, white, puffy, like, Alaskan Malmute dog wandered into our yard. It didn't have a collar, um, and it was super friendly, and it was healthy. Clearly somebody's pet, not just some stray dog. And we must have called the vet. They must have been open. I don't know how this ended up working, but we tracked down the owners, and I think it had a chip. And so we got the owner's phone number um, from the chip. And, or it was an address, either way, we ended up going over to their house and we brought this dog back on Christmas Eve, big, white, fluffy, snowy dog. Yeah. And there was a little, little kid that this was like Peter Pan and Nana and the dog that babysat the kids. Like, yeah. This was a big deal to this kid. And, you know, sometimes a dog goes lost, it gets stolen in neighborhoods. And this dog was so fluffy and pretty and sweet. It was such a gentle giant of a dog. We just, we absolutely could have kept this dog, you know. Yeah. It was amazing. But no, we understood that someone had just lost their pet. Even as a little kid and my two younger siblings, we all understood the love for an animal and a pet and had to get this dog back to its owner. So we tracked down that information, took it over there with my parents, and sure shit, it belonged to some little kid, obviously with his parents. And they had been searching and searching, and they were worried, and it was Christmas, and they got no leads on any of their posters or anything. And we brought back their Christmas miracle of a dog. And it was so crazy, and we felt really good about it. But it was taking action to find the ownership, the owners of this dog. Well, the cool thing about it is when we're talking about compassion, we're talking about taking action to make change in the world. The story that you had just told, Mm -hmm. I bet you money that that family to this day during Christmas will still tell the story about how they lost their dog and they put up all these posters and they were trying to find it and it was looking bleak and it wasn't looking good. And then on Christmas Eve... Some family knocks on the door, returning their dog home. It's stuck with me all these years. I mean... Your family made this change mm-hmm. to total strangers. Four total strangers. Not looking for money, not looking for attention. You said you and your siblings as kids understood the feelings of a lost pet. And because you sympathized... And you empathize with that enough, mm-hmm. you wanted to take action 
to help lessen the suffering of another possible child right. feeling that loss. Right. And you guys did that, and it just happened to be like on Christmas Eve to where this family now for 20 years gets to tell this story of their little own Christmas miracle. Yeah. That's a positive life change yeah. that hits somebody in a way that's outstanding. Yeah, I don't, I can't remember all the details, but the story stuck with me. I remember going to their house. I remember it being Christmas Eve. It was just, it was such a cool moment. And it would be a different story for that family if they lost that dog and your family was like, this dog's fucking cute. We're keeping it. Right. And their story now would be all heartbreak. Mm -hmm. So it's like we're doing butterfly effect stuff, yeah. right? We're talking about alternate timelines. <laughs> you had the opportunity to make a bad timeline and you opted to make a good timeline. And now everyone has this fuzzy feeling and that's... Yep. And of course, I mean, we could have even opted to just take the dog to the vet or just not to the vet, to the, um, the pound, to the pound, you yeah. know, and turn it in. But we wanted to make sure and get it home to somebody. And a lot of that credit goes to my parents. I have amazing parents. Yeah. I mean, we were kids, but we played a part in it and I, I still remember it. Yeah, that's what it should be about, in my opinion or in my views. As you're going along this journey in life or you're operating in this world, you have the opportunity to create the world in an image that you want. Mm -hmm. And your, your environment is dictated by your actions. Again, this is all my personal view. Some, someone's going to disagree with me, and that's okay. You can send your disagreement to podcast at ilovepoly.org. Yep, bring it on. But you're creating your environment. You're creating your world. You're creating your life based on your actions, whether it's in person or online or with a partner or on your own, you're the one deciding how this life gets lived. Obviously, there are variables that you don't have control over, but what you do have control over is how you treat people and other creatures and even the plants. The environment you're in, however you treat that, is how your world's going to look. So even if you want to be selfish about it you could do all these great things because you want to live in a good world because you want to have a happy life and that's kind of what we're trying to do here right right is we're trying to create a happy environment to live in so that we can enjoy what we've got and then like we're finding different people to love and we're finding partners and and if you want these things be the force that makes it happen mm -hmm. if you want a good life be the force to make it happen. You don't have to agree with everybody. And you don't have to hate who you don't agree with. Mm -hmm. Sometimes having differences is something to be celebrated. Yeah. And we can learn from differences, grow from differences. And learn to love despite differences. Right. Now, wrapping up a little bit here and, and trying to tie everything together... In a lot of the articles that we read during the research, like I mentioned earlier, there were a few reoccurring themes when it comes to trying to be more compassionate, uh, such as like, we all need to be a little less focused on ourselves. Yeah. Um, remembering the golden rule of treating others how we want to be treated. Yep. Creating a space for you both to feel safe, to be yourselves and accept each other in. Don't don't make it a hostile environment where no one's going to want to be themselves. Yeah. 
Um, attention, affection, and appreciation go a long way. Slow down and actively listen with intention. Think before you speak and be kind with your words. Nurture the relationships in your life. And in the end, choose love over hate. Keep love in your heart even when you feel hurt and betrayed. And all of those themes really just lend to a more compassionate world and a compassionate life. Yeah, those are all fantastic. In fact, uh, some of what you're talking about reminds me of something that my wife has said for years and years and years. Yeah. And it always sticks with me even to this day. Think before you speak. Okay. Right? So think for her stood for, is it true? Mm-hmm. Is it helpful? Mm-hmm. Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Yeah. I think I've heard that before. Right. And, and this is something... Like, even when we're raising our kids and they were still in their single-digit ages and stuff. And, you know, sometimes when kids get upset, they say mean things to each other. And and if the kids were arguing, she'd even actually pull them off to the side and have them sit down and, and remind them to think. Mm-hmm. And then they'd talk through the THINK acronym together. Right. And it was always amazing to watch when that conversation was over, how the kids went back to interacting with each other. Yeah. And it was really cool to see. That's a really great skill to teach at that age, especially. So, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? I love it. Goes along... With all of that. With everything that you just said. I think, basically, we've said a lot about compassion and... We could say a ton more, but I'm pretty sure that we're out of time or we're over on time. Yeah. If you enjoy what we do, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you know people who might also enjoy our show, take a screenshot while you're listening and share it with your friends. Remember to tag us and show us so we can thank you. Thank you for talking your poly off with Bella and Monsina. You can find our Facebook page in the links or by searching for I Love Polly and liking the page Polyamory Get Your Heart On. You can also find I Love Polly on Instagram and Twitter by searching I Love Polly Cares. If you want us to help you navigate to all of our online presence, check out the show notes or come on over to ilovepolly.org. We would love to hear from you. That's right. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at ilovepoly.org. That's singular podcast, not plural. So until our next discussion, Polly and fam. Live like there's no tomorrow. Laugh until it hurts. And and love love without without limits. limits.